Hello and welcome to another installment of the Y Football Podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Eches Adokru. Today, we'll be taking a look at how Brexit will affect British football, the movement of players, and we'll discuss whether it will impact the quality of the Premier League. Before we start, please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and YouTube. Hello, Eches. Good afternoon. How are you? Yeah, fine. Thanks. Congratulations on uh, winning the Pizza Trophy. Uh, to all our listeners out there, you know, John's been on this earth now for 27 years and that yep. is probably the biggest achievement he's ever had in his lifetime. So if you're sitting at home listening in, just uh, give him a round of applause, send him congratulations. He likes flowers, he likes chocolate, uh, <laughs> the whole sorts, because uh, for him, life doesn't get better simply. So Jordan, congratulations once more. Yeah, perfect description there. Um, yeah, first went at Wembley in 38 years. I don't know if you've seen the trophy. It's enormous. It's like bigger than the old UEFA <laughs> Cup. And there's a picture of like Charlie White out forward with like it on his head. And honestly, like, I don't know how he survived. <laughs> like it was, uh, it's enormous. But yeah, it's a pretty irrelevant competition. But for it was more if we'd lost that against a League Two team. Bear in mind, we're going for League One promotion this season. That's not good. And to be fair, they had some good chances. We could have lost that game. But... Yeah, but you, but you but you won, mate. That's the uh, the be all and end all. Yeah, you don't win the pizza cup every day, do you? So I mean, they don't. are yeah. you going to get a tattoo of the date when you want it? Yeah, well, they've actually a pizza shop, a Papa John's shop in Sunderland has changed its name to uh, Papa Lee's. Although I don't understand why they didn't change it to Papa Johnson because uh, our manager is called Lee Johnson, so they changed it to Papa Lee's. Um, so I might get Papa Lee's tattooed across um, a forearm, I think. In the insides, you know, where like a lot of Spanish, you know, where like a lot of Spanish players get like tattoos in the inside of their forearm, and they yeah. kiss it when they go for celebrations. So when I'm in yeah. when I'm in Power League, mm. and I score a goal, I can celebrate by kissing the Papalese on my on my wrist. Um, yeah. point to the air. The only problem with that though is you have got really thin forearms. I don't think you go to the gym, so <laughs> I don't know if there'll be I don't know if there'll be enough space. <laughs> yeah, but you're a pretty pretty small font, about eight font. <laughs> So anyway, you get a magnifying glass, see what they've actually written. Uh, smart. <laughs> That's a smart, very smart move there. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, yeah, good good news all around and now ready for the promotion charge. But uh, we won't be affected by the topic we're discussing today on Brexit because <laughs> I don't think we could, uh, any of our players would uh, ever qualify for the work permit. But mm. let's move on to that topic. So which is, what is Brexit? Yeah, for those of you that don't know, uh, we, may have, <laughs> we, may, we may have a few fans in... Uh, some obscure countries, uh, Nicaragua, Moldova, uh, yep. know, some countries that may be unaware. Hello uh, Brexit, to them. Yeah, hello to them indeed. Uh, Brexit is a term used to describe the withdrawal uh, of the UK from the EU. Uh, it was put towards the British public in a referendum, uh, which won with a narrow majority of 51.9%. Uh, and as a result, we are leaving, which is... Uh, Brilliant mm. news for some, uh, for filling his dog maybe, and uh, not mm. so good news for others. Mm, yeah, but it's funny how Brexit dominated our lives, like on the news, and then COVID struck and we didn't hear about it. And we barely heard about it for about 18 months <laughs> because everyone was furiously trying to get football back on. Uh, and obviously COVID was such a big deal and is such a big deal. Um, it's almost like people have just suddenly stopped caring. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm actually I'm glad it's not in the news. But at the same time, it is such a big thing. And we'll go on to, you know, how big it is in football. Yeah, the my favourite thing about Brexit um, is 
when David Cameron said that no matter what um, happens in the Brexit deal, I'll be with you no matter what every step of the way. And when the referendum <laughs> results came, when the referendum results came in, he was like, actually, uh, he's going to resign. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. He didn't want to deal with that. He didn't, didn't, didn't fancy it. <laughs> Sorry, lads, I didn't fancy it. Didn't expect the results. Not for me. Um, did I say that? I'm going to take that one away. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't think you particularly fancied it, but how it affects football. Um, if you rewind to about 2016, the all 20, 20 Premier League clubs were against it. Obviously, for a variety of reasons, it impacts how they can recruit European talent. Yeah. It affects you know, how they control minors, so players between 16 and 18, as well as managers. Um, you know, it affects management as well when, you, when you're a Swansea or maybe a club low down the league and you want to pluck a real up-and-coming manager from Dynamo Zagreb. I, I shouldn't mention Dynamo Zagreb because their manager is in prison, but another <laughs> club similar similar to, to, to that, then you won't be able to uh, utilise them because of this new uh, mm. quota that will come in. However, um, fan favourite Neil Warnock uh, went against the official Premier League line back then saying... Uh, to hell with the rest of the world uh, talking about the deliverance of Brexit I can't wait to get out of it if I'm honest uh, I think we're far better off out of the bloody thing in every aspect football wise as well absolutely thank you Neil Warnock for sharing <laughs> he he um I mean whether you agree with Warnock or not you can't help but love the man question for you Etches uh on Neil Warnock this is a random fact that I know how old is Neil Warnock Neil Warnock. Yeah. I think Neil Warnock was around when the first car was made. So, what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It must the first British sick. car was made. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, Rover? Do you remember Rovers yeah. used, to be, used to be about? Um, probably 65. I don't know. He's 72. He's 72. So, he's knocking about the Hodgson kind of years. He was born in 48. And his, he made his uh, league debut for Chesterfield in 1967. <laughs> wow. That, so he's that, no spring chicken. That is, uh, and that is I, all indeed. <laughs> I implore you all to watch. So there's a Warnock documentary that came out. This is actually about, this is when he was at Sheffield United in his, like, yeah. uh, his, I was going to say his first stint, but his only stint, actually, his manager. Um, and it's, like, really poor quality, like, in terms of how it's produced. It's on YouTube. It is outstanding to watch. Like, he is just, like, he's just, like, he's like a walking parody. He's like a parody of himself. <laughs> And he's just, he's just hilarious. And the whole thing is just great to watch. Like inside a dressing room with a man like him. And actually there's a, a, a clip on Twitter I saw where they were like doing like like for like comparisons between like the Guardiola, like clips from the Guardiola Man City documentary on Amazon. Mm. And then comparing that with like this old documentary of like Warnock. So it's like, it's like Guardiola, like going through like this like tactical board and like this like super expensive, like dressing room with the Etihad. And then it's like Warnock, a way to like, I don't know, like just like Rotherham or something, like absolutely going mad at his team and just like chucking things on the floor. It's it's outstanding. When is he? When is he not going mad at someone? <laughs> and also, why? No, I guess he's he's managed for a long time. I'm surprised there is a Neil Warnock documentary. Um, that is, yeah. Well, this year is his fortieth year. Fortieth. Do you know? Year do you know who needs a documentary? Steve Holloway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is that his name? Is it Chris Holloway? Who's the ex Blackpool manager? Is it Chris Holloway? Or Ian Holloway. Ian Holloway. <laughs> yeah, Steve. yeah, but, yeah. So that's poor too. I'll take a yeah. Fair. Live and learn. Live and learn. Sorry, Ian. Mm. That's poor. Um, 
but yeah, a change to of the rules of Brexit means that English clubs will not have the same freedom to hoover up the best of Europeans Europe's talent as before. From January 2021, a points-based system will be in place, meaning players from the European Union will now need to gain a governing body endorsement mm. or GBE, subjecting them to the same criteria as overseas players. The points are awarded on a variety of things, so international appearances as well as club appearances, domestic and continental competitions, the standard of the league, and mm. the yeah, standard of the league and the quality of club the player is coming from. So it's very complex. I was going to put it into the yeah. pod, and I read it for about 10 minutes and fell asleep, so I thought, I'm probably not. <laughs> it was, it, it's like a 20... I was, I was expecting two pages max. It's like 25 pages. I was like, yeah, you know yeah, what? Yeah. It's not really worth doing it. I had to get the calculator out and I thought, you know what? It's not worth my time. Um, so getting a GB will be really not a problem for the vast majority of the Premier League's big money arrivals, but will obviously have a huge effect in the recruitment of youth players and players further down the pyramid, which I'll get into in a bit. Premier League Chief Executive Richard Masters sounded confident at the time when he spoke about how it wouldn't affect uh, English football when discussing the post-Brexit arrangements. You know, he was basically saying, we'll still be able to recruit the best, it'll still remain the best league in the world. Everything you want to hear, because why would he say otherwise? Um mm. But, you know, yeah. the, the facts are facts where Britain's withdrawal from the EU means the Premier League just don't benefit uh, from not just signing European talent, whether they're 25, 26, but in particular signing minors. So they are now completely banned from signing players under the age of 18, um, which means, you know, when Cesc Fabregas moved and from Barcelona yeah. to Arsenal, Gerard Piquet moved from uh, Barcelona to Man United, Paul Pogba, they will no yeah. longer be able to move under these new rules. So when we're seeing these elite kids, uh, Serge Nabry is another one, I'm sure there's a whole host of others in Europe, it'll be a yeah. lot harder for these these players to move, which has benefits as, as well as uh, negatives. And the same applies to managers. So uh, Oli at the wheel, everyone's favourite Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, <laughs> is unlikely to have been granted a GBE because most of his coaching career was in Norway. Um, apart from that ill-fated spell at Cardiff where he was rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> was terrible. And when he came to United, I was like, surely not. Like, this has got to be... I mean, everyone... I do actually think he needs a bit of credit. I, I just love saying Ollie at the wheel. <laughs> I don't know why it makes me laugh. Uh, I don't know it makes me laugh so much. But yeah, he, he probably wouldn't have been uh, given one. But you can, um, you know, appeal to the panels for an exemption, as this was the case with Ahmad Diallo, because uh, he was the first player to move when the rules were applied in January uh, to, from Atalanta to Man United. Obviously, he's hardly played for Ivory Coast and has hardly yeah. played for Atalanta. Um, so, yeah, he was the first player to be awarded that. And I'm sure many more big talents will have exemptions given to them when they move from Europe for the bigger sides. But I'm not too sure the same will be the case for, let's say, your your Preston North Ends and your, uh, <laughs> your Sunderland's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't say I disagree with FIFA's rule of restricting the movement of 16 to 18 year olds and I've not often been a huge fan of FIFA and their rulemaking on this on this podcast um but yeah I mean the movement of 16 to 18 year olds overseas it's very young to be making a move at 16 for example like Fabricas did you know overseas even if that is within Europe um and I do think that's not a bad thing although I'm unsure how it is going to be enforced I mean you touched on the Diallo deal um which is post-Brexit. Um, and so I'm unsure how it's going to be enforced. I mean, they've had the transfer embargo Barca as well, or the sign of youth. 
Um, so in practice, hopefully it is actually kept on top of, but I'm just, I'm always skeptical of how these things are um, policed. Um, and that said as well, even though I'm in favour of that in terms of the movement of players, if you're a player in a poorly developed nation, it is actually, it is actually a bit of a benefit to you. If you're 16 and you are a, a wonder kid and you play in a nation that is poorly developed in terms of football and you can't move overseas and it actually could be a negative for your career. Um, and we've seen the bad side of that. We've seen players in, say, Africa, for example, who this is usually by agents who are touted by agents, you know, brought overseas. If they don't make it, they're you know <laughs> left to their own devices, and it's yeah. an, it's a negative for them. So that can happen. However, for in a country like England, or if it's coming from a country like Spain, I just think it often these players are getting big incentives to move overseas, like they have been for players from. Um, Say like a player like Fabregas coming over to England, they're getting big packages, they're getting the promises. Is that is that healthy? That's that's a good point. I think what we might see, which which will come onto, is it's just England's loss because it doesn't affect Germany, Spain, Portugal, Holland, Belgium. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't affect any of them unless it's English yeah. talent. It's affecting England's ability to recruit these foreign players. So any time will tell if it impacts that. Or what we might see is we might see the next uh, Didier Ndong, instead of him coming from France, you might see him uh, growing up in England and developed here because that's, that's what we need in our national team. So. <laughs> Didier Ndong. What, what a shocking transfer he was. Everybody needs a Didier Ndong. <laughs> so that, that could um, potentially occur. So, so moving on uh, to how it will affect clubs, which is such an open-ended discussion because you don't actually know and clubs respond in all these different types of ways. Yeah. I think what it will do is it will affect how clubs approach and buy players um, that aren't elite internationals or playing in weaker leagues. So Neil Lennon said, or former Celtic manager Neil Lennon said that Celtic would need to look at British players instead of European players because they simply wouldn't be able to get mm. permits. I've seen an article saying that Timu Puki, because he's played a lot for Finland, but Finland are not very good, uh, he wouldn't have been able to have qualified when he moved to Norwich. That would have been a bit of a yeah. problem. Um, so, you know, he's come to the Premier League now and scored 11 goals. He's been a bagsman in the championship. I think he's got 20 plus in in the seasons he's been down there. So obviously the quality isn't an issue, but it's more of a case of actually getting a permit. So, you know, if Celtic then look, uh, further home, further close to home, then that could uh, do other things as well, like drive up prices which i'll come on to mm. but even bigger clubs so celtic you know are a huge club you know fan base and stuff but in terms of on the field performances they're not brilliant sorry any celtic fans don't come at me but someone like <laughs> someone like everton with seamus coleman you know seamus coleman signed from sligo rovers he made a handful of uh, irish youth appearances who aren't really a footballing powerhouse so due to the quality of his league lack of international appearances and club appearances and the performance of Sligo continentally, that deal would have failed. You know, mm. and Coleman has been PFA team of the year. He's been Everton's player of the year, been such a reliable right back for so many years that it's a shame that we may miss these types of players because of the rules that are in place, because we're not talking about it from a sense of quality. It's not as if, oh, these guys are rubbish. It's like these guys have shown that the quality and now we're closing the door to so many others who could yeah. be... Yeah, and Coleman, I mean, Coleman, how long has he played in the top flight? I mean, he's, he's been a regular star at Everton since Moy. I mean, Moy signed him. Yeah. <laughs> he's been there for around 15 years. I mean, it's, yeah. it's been an incredible career for someone like him. I and mean, there's been other Irish 
uh, talent that have came into England. I mean, think about the big, big Nell Quinn and Sunderland. But um, I do feel as if there might be an exception made to this rule for for, for Irish talent or for Ireland and yeah. moving across to Britain because it's so close geographically. They're largely an English-speaking country. Um, obviously, Premier League is the biggest league in the world, arguably, is English mm. is English speaking. You know, <laughs> uh, quotation marks around that. Um, and you've also got things like not even just England, but like you know, in Wales and Scotland as well, they will have a mix of uh, British talent there as well. Celtic has roots with Ireland historically, and what now they can't sign Irish players. So mm. it's just a really interesting point. I feel as if there might be an exception made there, and to an extent, I actually hope there is because. We've had a lot of good English uh, Irish talent come into England and into the SPL and into the Welsh League. I don't think that should end. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think there's been some real top quality players that have come from Ireland, and there's a few now who are really talented. I know uh, Parrot. I think his name's Troy Parrot at Tottenham, who uh, represents yeah. Ireland at the moment, and Irish Youth International. He looks really, really good. So, uh, for those that are actually coming from the Irish League. Um, it'd be sad to see those those potential doors closed. Another mm. point which I touched on earlier is, you know, less European talent is great for the English football pyramid. I actually did a thumbs up as I did that. I don't know why, but yeah, it's great for, <laughs> <laughs> it's great because um, more money stays within the English pyramid. We, we talk a lot about how money doesn't trickle down and how it affects smaller clubs and serves the elite and all that. So that, does benefit English clubs because people have to look close to home. But what that does is it drives prices even further. I'd be very surprised if we see our European counterparts sign top English talent anymore yeah. because I think the prices are going to get really, really crazy. Uh, we're seeing Jack Grealish touted at 100 million. I would expect, you know, the way Brexit is going to impact English football, his price will go even higher, which is good for the smaller clubs so they don't, you know, run out of money, etc. Uh, and also it will cause clubs to look further down the leagues. You know, we discussed uh, not too long ago about how clubs don't look at the championship where there's some top, top talent there where clubs kind of think, yeah, you know, uh, we, we, unless mm. we, could, we could sign this guy uh, in Europe for half the price. Well, now with Brexit, you know, that could really be more of a case where we're seeing the top championship ballers. Um, I know you did a piece recently on... Um, Ivan Tony, yeah, we could see them moving to bigger clubs a lot quicker um, and probably for more money too. I think for the final point is also just more emphasis on British talent within academies. I think British football is in a much better place than before. But, you know, if you championed this 10 years ago, people would be jumping at you because of how poor, not poor, but not brilliant the English academy system was yeah. um, so obviously less foreigners than that means more British players and Gareth Southgate can stop crying saying oh <laughs> I've only I've only got 25% English players to pick from and Germany have 50% it's not fair so you know this could also drive uh, the number of British players coming through up which is obviously good for the national team uh, as well as quotas for a variety of clubs hmm. yeah some some cracking points there um I do think money staying within the British game is beneficial because you could see a greater distribution of wealth outside of the Premier League because uh, a demand for talent in the EFL, in the SPL, in uh, Northern Ireland and Wales, for example, means that Premier League clubs, championship clubs have to spend that money rather than a team like even Brentford, who bought so well and they bought Tony, for example, <laughs> who is an yeah. uh, English talent. Um, they bought abroad, uh, bought, bought overseas, sorry, uh, quite often. It'll force basically every team in each kind of layer of the pyramid to look down further below them, which in theory should increase mobility of those players coming up the leagues, which in theory should only benefit the talent that has grown 
um, in this country and then benefit teams in the EFL financially if you know teams in the Premier League have to then pay premium for those players. In theory, that should then create a redistribution of wealth. Um, but I think the question is, does it really benefit British youth? Because as I've just described there, yeah, you may have a better mobility of players coming up the leagues, but there, you know, there is these academies in, in England now, and these, especially in Premier League clubs, their academy systems are huge. They have centers of excellence. They have, you know, a lot of the top six teams are hoovering up talent under the elite player performance plan. Um, and there's so many players within the academy system. But now we start to see a lot of players go out to, to Europe and everyone was really encouraged by the Jude Bellinghams, um, the Adamola Luckmans um, and Co. Sancho's going out to Europe, to Germany, etc. to play football because then that means you have more English players playing top flight elite football rather than just being pigeonholed in the Premier League. But now they're back to being pigeonholed because they can't go anywhere. Yeah. So again, we're back to that restriction. So it, I don't it might result in more British youth actually getting a game time in the Premier League because the teams like West Ham's can't sign like your Vladimir Sufals, for example, but they might not be able to. But will it actually see more English players playing game time overall in the Premier League when you think about top 10? I'm not actually entirely sure and I actually think it's just going to become even more restrictive. Um, to the youth in this country getting game time. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. There's also a point as well for the the other way around. So, you know, you mentioned Jude Bellingham, they wouldn't be able to sign and Jamal Masala wouldn't be able to sign for Dortmund and Bayern respectively because of um, the fact that they were between 16 and 18 and so they can't move to Europe. But for players lower than the pyramid who are older, so let's say 21, 22, maybe moving to the German Championship or League One that players you don't yeah. even really know, you know, they're now blocked off as well because of the same permit issue, which you know, affects a whole host of uh, clubs across Europe for people. You hear mm. all sorts of players that go start playing in like Czech Republic, you know, or maybe they start playing in Slovakia because they've fallen out of the English system here. And then sometimes they make really good comebacks and manage to get all the way back and others maybe don't, but they still have the right to a successful career. And if the opportunity isn't here for them, we've now closed that off, which is which is uh, a shame, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, am, I know I'm Mr. Skeptical, but I've always had this kind of, uh, this skeptical kind of um, prediction that, Clubs like Dortmund are buying someone like Bellingham because they know after three years if they do well, an English club is going to come in and play top, pay top dollar. I know I'm really sceptical. <laughs> That's always been my fear. So at least that removes that possibility of it just being a money-spinning uh, game. But then someone like Sancho has benefited Dortmund so well. So perhaps not. Yeah, true. Yeah, I, I can be sure. It's an interesting point. I think the final point is how are clubs prepping for this change? Because... You know, it's not as if they're just twiddling their thumbs. You know, these these clubs are huge machines now that have yep. a variety of rules in place to kind of bypass all these rules and regulations. So I think what we could see is clubs like Sheffield United, Man City and Watford have affiliated clubs in Europe. So I think what we'll see is a lot of these youth players will still get signed um, when they're 16 or so from other European clubs. And I think they'll get sent to these nations until they're 18 and then at feeder clubs and then come back to England to play. So I'm mm. quite interested to see how that's governed, uh, particularly City because they love breaking the rules. So <laughs> <laughs> they've broken like two. I don't know what happens if they do it a third time. Uh, knowing UEFA, mm. they'll probably get a slap on the wrist because they don't really do anything else. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, and also to see if more clubs form partnerships. So, you know, will Man United now then 
by or have a affiliation with, I don't know, some club in Czech Republic, you know, will teams be built more like Red Bull, who we've done a podcast on, yeah, where they have yeah, these the connections in different countries to then say, okay, we need this guy to stop off here for a little bit. Um, can he come through? And then when he's 18, he can come to us. So it'll be interesting to see how clubs respond and more so how that's governed because it just it just reeks of like court cases, that does. <laughs> uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that kind of works out. Um, or what it could do as well is, you know, make academies smarter. I think the biggest issue we have in this country, right, is, okay, if we're 10th, how do we become first? Yeah, you have to invest, but loads of these clubs don't really, I don't think, bother enough with their academy systems. The ones mm-hmm. that do reap the benefits, so your Leicester, Southamptons, there are some other clubs that don't really um, and kind of pay the results. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see if there's more focus on academies but as you rightly said with your epp piece which was about it feels like 10 years ago but actually it was only <laughs> about seven or eight months ago um you know the big clubs have just taken them anyway so it's like oh yeah, yeah let's develop <laughs> let's develop the next wayne rooney and then arsenal comes sweeping over and then take him for about 100k and then you're just there twiddling your thumbs thinking right well that was a waste of our time um so i think smaller clubs and a lot of this no matter how i kind of look from it are at a disadvantage and the bigger clubs, to be honest, aren't really affected. Yeah, and they could actually benefit from that. So, I mean, it's a good point on the elite player performance plan because if you think now there's now going to be a squeeze, you know, like a greater demand for British talent, then these larger clubs are going to think, right, there's more of an incentive for them to actually get as many to expand. I don't know if there's actually a limit on academies and centres of excellence. I feel like there should be because I feel as if like a club like United, for example, will then just try and like buffer out their academy just create like a huge kind of network of youth players within that and then just um, hoover the players up under the age it will pay, loan those players out if necessary um, or just release them when it gets a professional contract age if not good enough and then they'll just benefit. I think getting back to um, the point over the, the Premier League's elites generally, I think, yeah, I think they are unaffected really because in terms of transfers of first team players, it's not going to affect them. They're signing international players. So it doesn't yeah. matter to them, really. I mean, in theory, that a lot of the Premier League are. I mean, someone like Leonardo Trussard going to Brighton, for example, I think he probably would have got a permit. Mm. You know, most of the Premier League is buying international players now um, and even some teams in the Championship. But where there are going to be issues affect, um, players affected by that, it's not going to be uh, first-team players going to, um, you know, Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal, uh, Liverpool, etc. Et um, but yeah, you're right. The West Ham's will have to become smarter too and look down the footballing pyramid, which is perhaps something the Premier League has forgotten. I mean, with the revenue in the Premier League and how much it's increased, it has created this like short-termism, which has kind of dictated how clubs behave. The biggest culprit of that in the last 20 years is Sunderland, 100%. And we've paid the price for that. So you you buy short-term, you buy players for that season because the thought of getting relegated now that the money is so big it's so detrimental that you continue just it's just you're basically just paving over the cracks debt levels get bigger and bigger and you're waiting for that like big break where you actually do really well you stay in the league longer or you make it to the Europa League and you can kind of pay that debt off and move forward if it doesn't happen you end up in League One uh, so hopefully now if you can't sign abroad that means that teams are looking more towards their academies more low down the leagues where they're not perhaps you know running a, a wage a kind of a wage turnover ratio of over the 100% they're not spending millions more than they can afford overseas on players that have never played in the country. And it actually then benefits the youth and the mobility coming up. Um, But on that mobility point, um, 
you know, England does have a unique structure in four professional leagues and a vast non-league structure. It's quite unique compared to a lot of nations, even in, you know, Western Europe. And I feel like the FA, EFL and Premier League need to work out how to increase that mobility. I think it will happen naturally with the fact that there's greater demand for English talent, but I don't think it has happened so easily. The fact that we had someone like Jamie Vardy, I know he's an anomaly, but the fact he was in uh, non-league for so long, you know, kind of shows that. Che Adams is a good example as well. He's a lot younger when he came up, mm. but he was playing um, non-league football for a while before he um, ended up in at Birmingham. I think he went somewhere first, but he came to Birmingham then to... Um, to Southampton. There's been an issue recently about him. He's suddenly uh, said he's committed himself to Scotland. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> Scotland, like, okay. yeah, but Scotland have absolutely they have been men. They have been men of strikers. You you say that right, but I looked at the squad. Yeah, to be fair, striker wise, but I looked no, at the squad. Mc, no, it's Mc, not too Mc, bad. McBurney, McBurney, Binman. <laughs> who's the other one they have? At Sheffield, who's the other one they have at Sheffield United? Oliver Burke, Binman, McGoldrick, David McGoldrick. Is he Scottish? Oh, I just took off the name. I don't know. I don't, he might not be. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Bernie, Binman, Burke, Binman, I think Griffiths, Binman. Oh, Binman, mate. So rude. They have, they have good players in midfield. So they have a very lopsided squad, Scotland. They've got loads of yeah, good midfielders. They've got two very good left backs. Um, you know, they've got some good players, but they've just, I looked at the goals of their strikers. It is abysmal. All right. That's all for this week. Thank you, Etches, for uh, the insight on Brexit and how it affect. Um, football in Britain and in particular England and the Premier League um, some interesting insight there and I do hope it doesn't end up with the Premier League becoming irrelevant but given the money I doubt it will uh, <laughs> so yeah thank you all guys for listening please continue to subscribe with us on all our platforms and we'll see you next time cheers guys, cheers, guys.